Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. God bless you, get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID-free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone, and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. Let me just start by saying that, uh, as you all know, if you were listening to or you downloaded uh, Tuesday's podcast this week and make it plain, you heard what we actually did not know would be the final interview with Dr. Conrad Wuerl, a renowned scholar, a teacher, a university professor, organizer, Pan-Africanist, Black nationalist. Um, he succumbed to both uh, cancer and COVID. And he wanted to have a sit down with me and Roland Martin. If you've not gone back on Tuesday to download that, please do. Conrad was the chairman emeritus of the National Black United Front, uh, as well as one of the organizers of ENCOBRA, the Movement for Reparations, the Million Man March, the Million for Reparations March. And even though as a Pan-Africanist, he wasn't crazy about electoral politics, he participated in it. And he was one of the organizers of Harold Washington's successful campaign in Chicago for mayor. That was not an overnight process. That was a 30 year organizing effort. You know, a lot of times we think things happen overnight. They don't, we, we're, we're, we've got to start early. And he spoke to us on Tuesday about the importance of, of African-Americans and our allies settling our differences to defeat Donald Trump in November. He, he admonished young people to not diminish the importance of voting and for all of us to bury the hatchet in terms of our disagreements and agree on one thing to defeat Donald Trump. So if you've not go back and hear that, we now know that that was his last interview. It was on uh, Wednesday morning, uh, the very next morning after we aired the interview that he made his transition uh, to the ancestry. He was an enormous impact on so many people in the movement across so many sectors. Um, and one of those, I'll just say, one of the stories he used to love to tell, he, he, you know, he won't have a state or national funeral, even though he deserves one in our movement. But Conrad was actually born in Pasadena before the family moved to Chicago. And his father 
was the best friend of Mac Robinson and Jackie Robinson. They were all in school together. Uh, and he used to love to tell those stories about his family's relationship with the Robinsons. Uh, we know about Jackie. Many people don't know that Mac Robinson came in second and won the silver medal uh, next to Jesse Owens in the Berlin Olympics. Uh, that was Jackie's older brother, uh, uh, quite an athletic family. And his father ran track, Conrad ran track. In fact, the plan now is to name the new uh, discussions to name the new $63 million uh, track facility, the only indoor track facility of its kind in Chicago after Dr. Conrad World. So God bless him and his family. Uh, it, it is, I cannot emphasize enough the influence that he had on my life and those of us who've been involved in our freedom struggle for decades. So we just wanted to open the show and say that and give tribute to him. Please, whatever you do, go back and download that interview. Roland Martin and I did it together, shared with young people who now are frustrated and don't know what to do and don't know whether voting matters anymore. That's real. I'm hearing that. And we'll get more into that. We have today a double dose of Thursday Coast. How about that? That rhymes. Um, joining us once again from Minneapolis, just blocks away from, uh, she lives just blocks away from where George Floyd was assassinated. Um, Erna Landrum, the director of campaigns for Daily Coast, joins us once again. Erna, welcome back to the show a second time. Thank you, Mark. And, and I don't, let me just say to folks, this, this ain't easy. All of us talking about this. It, it takes time and effort to even open up and talk about this. So Erna is probably, we're all going through unspeakable grief and trauma that we can't even describe right now. A lot of it is suppressed and subconscious. We have no treatment for the PTSD from slavery and our racial experience in America. So imagine Erna being right there in the neighborhood in which she may be going through. So it's not lost on me that she's taking her time and sharing with us. Also, my brother joins us. Um, we've been doing this a long time and I so appreciate him. Um, you know, he said, well, we, should, we should just talk to Erna, but I wanted him to come on because he has the bird's eye view as he looks at polls, as civics looks at polls about what's happening and the impact. And, and you know, a lot of times folks, this isn't an interview, this is a, this is a dialogue. Today it'll be a trialogue. Uh, because there's some things I've been hearing. I like to bounce those off of him and have him either confirm, deny, talk me down or whatever. So um, we love him for joining us as always and taking the time. Uh, it's no small thing that the, uh, uh, the, the founder of the largest online uh, progressive town, so to speak, um, takes his time to spend with us every week. Uh, he is Marcos Melissus. Marcos, uh, good to have you back as well. How you doing, man? Uh, always a pleasure to join you and to talk, and less of a pleasure given the subject matter these days, but this is important stuff, and I'm glad we're finally getting to address it as a nation. Yeah. yeah. So, Erna, give us just a little update just from your, your corner of the struggle. Uh, first of all, where are uh, we're we're seeing obviously uh, video feeds from all over the world. Uh, uh, I've been even invited to be on the BBC and Sky News twice this week, and people are demonstrating everywhere. So, what's the latest close to home um, demonstrations still taking place? Are they as um, uh, as sustaining the same size as they always have? Just kind of give us a, a glimpse, if you would. Um, there, the activism energy here in Minneapolis isn't going to die down anytime soon. There have been a number of very, very large protests and demonstrations. Um, we actually also have some folks in our community who are vetting uh, all of the all of the protests and marches that are being put up because it's it's become clear that many people are taking advantage of this moment and trying to gather people in ways that are not in alignment with. Um, with the goals of Black Lives Matter, justice for George Floyd, and uh, and holding police accountable for the reign of terror that many communities are experiencing. Uh, just, oh goodness, I wanna say maybe yesterday, time feels, I lose track of time right now. Yeah. Um, I think it was two days ago, there was a very large protest uh, thousands of people, I don't know the exact numbers, uh, up on the 35W Bridge, which many years ago uh, was 
was a source of grief for the Minneapolis community because it collapsed into the river. And uh, on this bridge, there was a demonstration, peaceful demonstration, family and friends. And you may have seen that a truck, uh, like a large, a large gas tanker plowed through that crowd. Um, and I was on my way home from my partner's parents' house and happened to see the choppers that were flying over with water. Um, it was just so much chaos. We ran on our way home. There are a couple of car accidents that we drove around on the way home, but people are not deterred. They're still out in the streets. There's still basically a 24 seven vigil at the corner where George Floyd was murdered, um, where folks are holding that space entirely sacred. Um, the city has gone under, we've gone under citywide curfew, as so has St. Paul. And, and, and our county commissioner, Angela Conley, has definitely made sure that that space could be held exempt from, from curfew so that people could gather there in, in grief and in love and in community at all times and just really keep it as a spiritual, sacred, grounded community space. Um, and another thing that's happening right now is uh, communities have come together and tried to figure out how we are going to take care of ourselves because in many instances, it's been very clear that the increased police presence, uh, National Guard has been deployed here. The Army, if it has, I believe Army has been deployed here with the increased military guard and police presence in our communities that many people feel even more under threat and not protected. And so communities have gotten together my block. I canvassed the block and knocked every single door on my block. We came up with the flyer to tell people, here's the plan. We're going to sit watch. And the first night we'll do it all together. And that's not sustainable. People haven't been sleeping well because we're under such, because we're so vigilant about every noise that we hear. Um, just a couple of nights ago, while I was sitting on my porch, a car zoomed by and shot a live round into the air. And so like folks have been really unable to sleep with that in choppers and just hearing fire, the like gunfire all night. But um, there's definitely a huge spirit of we got us. If nobody got us, we got us. And so we got folks in the community doing alley sweeps because we have confirmed reports of people hiding accelerants into in the alleyways um so we got folks doing alley sweeps making sure that those are clear um checking in with the neighbor i'm on a couple of signal threads where we're just checking in with each other all night long and really i think in the last couple of nights started to figure started to really move towards how do we make this a, one a sustainable practice not one that keeps us all up at all hours of the night, but so that our bodies and nervous systems can settle enough to sleep. And also how do we do this in such a way that doesn't replicate policing? Because right now folks are so scared, there's so much paranoia and vigilance that, that we started to move in suspicion of everything that was unfamiliar. And like that's, that's the current model of policing that we don't want to replicate, but um, so I just think that we're moving really thoughtfully and intentionally block by block by block. Uh, there are some communities over in North Minneapolis, uh, white supremacists came out and trolled the neighborhood, fires got set and there was barely any police presence. So community members who were armed came out to defend their own community. Uh, and right now, you know, just even our government is starting to wonder what their relationship with our police department should be. And so, I mean, to, to answer your question, there's demonstrations, there's block by block community care, there's mutual aid. We're raising money for all of the businesses that have been impacted um, by fires and vandalism. And, uh, and, it, and though we're in a scary time, we're also in a hopeful time because this is the most inroads that we've ever had around, um, around abolishing police. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Erna, thank you, and, and thank you for having the, the, the courage to truly express yourself and, and share your emotion. Um, I, uh, I'm, I felt that, and I'm with you. Um, and as I said, you're right there. Uh, let, let me ask you this. Um, um, the, 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 you mentioned to me, too, that you all, in, in terms of some of this uh, peculiar and nefarious activity, 
you've you some have encountered uh, accelerants that have been left around parts of the neighborhood. Can you talk to us about that? Sure. There's been I've seen in so many places people have found um, water bottles filled with gasoline. Um, I mean, that's the one that I remember the most, bottles filled with gasoline, other forms of accelerants that people weren't sure what they were. A gas station, uh, the gas station just across the street from where George Floyd was murdered, it, it was clear that there had been some tampering there, not sure what people were attempting to do, but um, you know, my neighbors went over and secured that to make sure that there was no fuel that could be, <laughs> that could be used against our community. But folks are finding it. There's there's a word to look in the bushes, look in the alleys, look around the garbage cans. Actually, we are asking people to pull their cans in so that they're not there to be targeted. Um, and so, so far, this has remained mostly uh, an attack on on our commercial and business corridors in the community. But there is real live concern about about houses being next especially because people are finding these accelerants hidden in their um on their properties and just one other point before um and i go to marcos you were also saying that there's a group of you that is vetting some of the protests and activities as they're being announced did i understand you correctly I, yeah, one person I know in particular is doing that. She's just asking every day. She, well, since yesterday, she started the thread. She did a thread today where she was like, if you find a, pro a protest march or rally, just put it here, drop a link to it, and yep. I will find out who is organizing it, what's the purpose, and if this feels like something we should actually turn our people out to. Right, right, right. Because there's a lot of confusion um, just even on Tuesday. I don't know, you, you're there on the ground, so I don't even know how much time you've had a chance to absorb social media, but um, you know, there was this Blackout Tuesday thing and the music industry started it. And then some folk latched on and got confused. They attributed it to Color of Change. Color of Change said, this ain't us. And the plan was for some in those industries to mute themselves, but people got confused and thought we all as African-Americans should mute ourselves and put up the black squares. Then by the afternoon, it became no, uh, this uh, we should the hashtag became amplify melanated voices and people who weren't melanated should be muted. Uh, I was gratified by the fact because I've never seen the term melanated used so on mass before like it was on Twitter on yeah. Tuesday. But you know it, it's just it, it's all of that going on and it wasn't that harmful. But to some people who were really confused, should we be silent? Should we be heard? Um, so that vetting is important. I'm not saying those who, who first put out Blackout Tuesday were doing anything nefarious, but in when there's a vacuum uh, in this chaos, you know, that kind of stuff just happened. Did you, did you get a chance to even look at any of that stuff? Well, hopefully not with all you're dealing with, but some of us got, you know, we just got spun around on Tuesday. I, di I did get a chance to look at some of that and uh, I found it really ironic that something that was purporting to uplift Black voices and Black perspectives and Black resource sharing um, actually buried it based on the, the algorithms, the hashtags Black Lives Matter, um, justice for George Floyd, they started getting buried underneath these just Black square pictures. And so folks had to dig and dig and dig to find out what was happening in communities. So. Uh, Regardless of the intent, I think, you know, like when we when we talk about equity, we often talk about intent and impact, regardless of the intent, the impact was to bury the very voices that need to be heard right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, Marcos, you introduced me to Erna and folks, this speaks to Marcos as well. You know, last week he said, you need to have Erna on the show. This week he said, you need to have Erna on the show. I forced him to come on though, because you know, I, I know we're is not only exhausted, but I did want to get a, a you know, a, that 30,000 feet in the air overview. But, but before I ask you a question, Marcos, I didn't know whether there was anything you wanted to ask of, of Erna um, in, in terms of what's happening there on the ground or, or, or what she's dealing with. I just want to express my incredible gratitude and love and affection for the work that she does for her community, for Daily Coast, for the country. And I know how incredibly difficult this has to be. And she's fighting and persevering. And I have so much respect for her as a person. And I'm a little teary-eyed right now, so I'm sorry about that. But 
uh, I do. It's just love and affection and gratitude. Yeah, yeah. No, we we love you, Anna, and and people sh people should hear your voice. As difficult as it is, I know this is. We all are experiencing something, Marcos, that we're just not even dealing with right now. You know, um, grief and trauma are real, and when it's suppressed and then it manifests later on in so many ways. I mean, we need, at some point, we're going to have to talk about some type of collective <laughs> release or therapy or something. But be that as it may, um, what are you seeing from, uh, from the air? You, you're looking at polls. There, you know, we look at some of these characters that Erna has sub sub described, and we know they're up to funny business. Um, it, many, there's a consensus that Trump may even be trying to benefit from some of this chaos, recreate the Nixon playbook of 68. And after all, you know, he, he's got nothing but Nixon acolytes around him, including one with a tattoo all over his back. Um, but but, but is, is that something that we need to be concerned about? Are the polls or is your reading of what the polls say? Uh, suggesting that, you know, he really is losing serious ground. So, I mean, part of it, it's funny, I didn't want to come on today because it's such an emotional moment. And sometimes it feels like talking about numbers and polling and data is sort of kind of septic in a moment that doesn't deserve that sort of cold calculating look. Um, so I, I was hesitant, but you, uh, <laughs> you, you, uh, you talked me into coming on and, and there, there's, um, and when you do it, Marcos, when you finish, I'll explain to you why it's not and why it's still sacred. Okay. So, so go, go ahead. I'll, I'll explain. Um, there has been clearly there's, there's a Trump is trying to turn this into his favor law and order and trying, he thinks that this is a way to get back suburban white women, which are the, uh, they were the, they were the one group that has flipped in the, in major fashion since, since the 2016 election. That's the reason Nancy Pelosi is speaker of the house. And, and so they think that, that showing images of black people will scare these white women back into the Republican Party. That's clearly what he's trying to do. So one of the things, one of the reasons I really love civics and the reason um, I co-founded civics is because we're able to pull things, track things daily and do so before major events happen. So it's not like we rushed into the, the field to pull how people are feeling about the Black Lives Matter and the protests. We've been tracking on a daily basis attitudes towards Black Lives Matter every single day for three years, mm -hmm. for three years. So um, it was sort of in the background. It, it was uh, one of the, I, we've talked about it before, one of the um, things about public opinion that people don't realize is it doesn't change very often. So it's kind of boring, right? Nothing happens. Mm -hmm. People right. look at our Trump approval charts and they say, well, nothing's happening. Well, that's because people's opinions really don't change that often. So when they do, it's momentous. And we, we, today we turned on, we made public our Black Lives Matter chart because the response to this weekend's protests had been off the charts positive. For the first time ever, white people, white Americans now approve of Black Lives Matter. Um, you can you can see it. I mean, it's it's uh, go to civics with a Q.com, the Black Lives Matter chart. Any fear that people may have that protests may turn people against the movement, or that white people may be scared off, or that Trump can benefit from it, the exact opposite. It's happening. In fact, there's an 18 point shift in favorability towards Black Lives Matter amongst Republicans amongst Republicans. Now, how, how big is the shift again? Say it again. 18 point shift, net shift. Um, now, keep in mind, only 11% of them approve. <laughs> so, but only 49% disapprove. So we're talking half of Republicans um, don't disapprove of Black Lives Matter. Now, the biggest shift is now a bunch of them saying like, well, I, whatever, I, I don't approve, I don't disapprove. But for a group of people that um, three years ago was about 80% disapproved of Black Lives Matter to now about half of them, 
is a huge shift. And um, if the purpose of this, of this, of the protests is to move America in a pop, in a direction of educating them about the challenges faced by the black community and the difficulty that community faces and the problems with the police, if that was the goal, it has been a resounding resounding success. And so once again, you have Trump and we have Trump, um, not only his approval ratings dropping, but for the first time we're seeing his approvals dropping with non-college whites. So those are his core base. He won about 75% of them in 2016 and he's still gonna win them, but if he won it with 75 and now they're at 69, 68%, that obviously impacts his ability, not just to, to win, but it also impacts Democrats' ability down ballot. And so this issue is not only having huge resonance um, in people's feelings and opinions about Black Lives Matter and that struggle, it's having a partisan impact. And so this movement and these weekend protests are literally changing America as we, as in real time, right now, sure. these protests, they're not scaring people away. They're not boosting Trump in any way. They are literally changing America for the better. And so um, I'm, I'm too young for 1968, I wasn't born in 1968. I mean, I wasn't in, in the United States till 1980. Um, so that's not my frame of reference. My frame of reference is is um, is uh, that um, I, I don't know what my frame of reference was. I just didn't know what to expect. And so to see these numbers prove that the protest movement is is so incredibly positive and so incredibly effective, just uh, just makes me so much more proud of everything that these incredible leaders are accomplishing today. So thank you, Marco. So so to, to address what, and, and I appreciate your sensitivity in, in considering this septic, but let me just tell you why it's not. Um, and and Ern, I'd like your reaction to this as well. So I've been in conversations, obviously I'm always in conversations. I haven't missed a conversation on this with any number of people from all sides of the um, liberal left, revolutionary pan-Africanists. I was even on the phone with a member of the Communist Party this morning to the extent that that still exists. And they called me, said, Mark, we, we, we need you. We got to do something. It's like, all right, let's talk. So having said that, the consensus, there's several consensuses. Uh, I'm going to deal with the first one. And then there's a big second one, Marcos, we need your help with. So the first one is this, and this is why what you're talking about is not septic. Uh, young people, um, you know, Hillary Clinton had a problem with African-American young people. Um, I mean, black and brown young people are historically challenging when it comes to turnout and voting. We've talked about that ad nauseum, Marcos. But that now in this, people fear that it's going to be even worse because the young people are so frustrated, so angry. They have given up on the system. They don't even believe that it's worth their time to vote, right? Nobody want to hit that mess right now. And so, you know, I was talking with folk and, and then I just started talking about the history, you know, and how if, if, if we would consider the way history repeats itself, uh, for the record, you know, uh, I, I was only two in 1968, but I'm gonna go back a little further. Um, none of us was around during the Civil War and you had Reconstruction where African-Americans, Erna, as you know, uh, were elected by the thousands across the South. We had the first Congressional Black Caucus. Former slaves were senators. Rolling. Then the period of reclamation. Johnson pulls back the troops. What coincided with our loss of vote, Jim Crow laws, voter suppression, what coincided with all of that was lynchings. The two were not separate. And that resulted in the, the, the grief, frustration, intimidation, desperation, and that, that, that literally killed our political power and our right to vote. So my thesis is uh, police violence does the same thing. It's having that effect. If young people are saying voting's not important, and if some of them weren't saying that two weeks ago, and they're saying it now, 
then we see the same intimidation of violence taking place. Um, second of all, and I was in conversations with the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, one of our legacy groups. And what a lot of people don't know and, and haven't been educated about, because we, we always talk presidential politics, unfortunately, everybody does, and you don't think about the local. You know, you can elect officials on a local level, level that affect policing and can hold police accountable, uh, be they mayors and city council members. And so what, you know, what's a lot is being lost in the discussion is, you know, voting can change that at your level. Um, and again, I know that's not sexy and people are angry. Here, here come Mark and everybody else talking about voting. We sick of voting. But I, I think that we have to emphasize that there's, there's a relationship, there's a history. Not only did they kill George Floyd. See, this is not random to me anymore. So that's something, this, this is ain't just something. We know police violence is cultural and it seems random. But to me, it's also systemic. There's no coincidence between the timing of the death of George Floyd and others we already know are gonna happen and um, intimidation and suppression of the vote. So that's why I'm saying, educating folk on the importance of the franchise against the violence and the lynching. We, we look, talking about George Floyd now, before that we were talking about armed vigilantes lynching Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, all of that, David McAfee now in Florida. I see no delineation. First to you, Erna, am, am, am I making any sense? You're a young person. Um, it, 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 will that, do you think that type of approach or argument will help? I mean, what, what, do you, what do you think? So, I mean, there's certainly, none of, none of us is new to voter suppression, right? There's been a number of tactics to steal the vote, to intimidate people out of it. Um, but when I think about just even Marcos saying the numbers of people whose opinions about police are shifting in real time right now, I think another reason that it feels difficult for people to get excited about the vote is because so often are we, are we faced with visionary choices, right? People are often asked to go out and do something that is becoming increasingly difficult. Um, that's those difficulties are aimed and targeted at them specifically and to creep and to cross all of these barriers for frankly for politicians who don't have vision who who start with limitations who begin the conversation at what is currently possible instead of casting a vision for what could be possible who for years and years and years have have completely you know just really buried any conversation about holding police accountable about about abolishing what we know is a, is a system that was started with the aim of controlling the movement of black people through this country, right? We talked about that last week about the slave patrols. And when we are looking at the fact that what it takes is this sort of mass pain, this sort of, right, like sort of mass uh, death in, in some ways that feels almost voyeuristic for people who are not in the communities for that to be what it takes for them to even move a little bit, then it's really difficult, I think, to make people feel excited about voting when we're so often, I mean, the conversation was had in 2012, 20, 2016, uh, 2020, about this isn't what I want, but, uh, you know, in 2016, people weren't excited to vote against Trump. They wanted to vote for someone. This year, people aren't excited to vote against Trump. They want to be able to see visionary leadership that can have these radical ideas about transforming what has been now for centuries, for decades, impacting their very material lot, the material conditions of their lives, which so often end up on the negotiating table, right? And so... I think we do need to talk about the power of the vote. I think Minneapolis, um, my area has done incredible things at the local level. So many, of the, so many of the elected leaders in this time are young people of color who come from our activists and artist circles. And so that's why we're seeing such powerful leadership on the ground here, because we elected people with vision and who encouraged us to dream and vision into a future, which now seems a lot more possible. Um, yeah. That, that's a profound statement and, and very real. Marcos, but, but, but do you see why I'm feeling that, that what you have to share is, is still Im important in this conversation? 
Because um, if we yeah, don't, absolutely, yeah. I just, mean, that, I'm incredibly. I was so excited to see that Ferguson, Missouri, now has its first black mayor. It's a black woman, and uh, <laughs> she was asked. She was asked, "How did it feel to this?" this historic person and she said it feels like I have a lot of work to do I mean it's like she already is is uh, giving me hope that things can get better uh, with that sort of political engagement that didn't exist in Ferguson before um, I can you can go into, into civics numbers and you can look at Joe Biden's favorabilities with the young people and young people of color and, and they're crap I mean it's just there's just no way to sugarcoat now of course Trump is as well uh, but there's no way to sugarcoat exactly what Arna's saying is that there's there's a lack of, and what you were saying, that there's this lack of faith in the system and that it's almost a, a tuning out because it doesn't seem relevant to them in any way. And I don't have any confidence that Biden can is going to be the person to turn that around. Um, I think um, Biden is on track to win the election because he's because Donald Trump has just made him such a mess of literally everything that he's bleeding all sorts of support everywhere. Uh, but that's not a recipe for a strong progressive future. We need young people engaged. We need that energy, those ideas, that that sense that anything is possible, as opposed to the cynicism and the ostrich, you know, the the. Uh, uh, fossilized way of thinking that happens when when, <laughs> when we get too old <laughs> and we get too beaten down, right? So so we need that young youth and energy, and and uh, I'm not sure I know who is going to be the person to bring that in. I, I know it is it is it's a problem, it's a crisis, and and uh, I think events like what's happened to happening now, you're right, doesn't doesn't really instill confidence that uh, that um, the country's on the right path. Well, and so to segue into that, that so Erna, you know, Marcos and I, you know, we, we talk a lot of politics, electoral politics. We've been vetting vice presidential candidates. I, I think now more than ever, Marcos, that becomes important because someone, if there's a chance at this, uh, you know, even though what Erna said is compelling, and this is a mighty obstacle overcome at this time, to engage young people and interest them in this, uh, the question becomes, which we know is going to be a woman, but which one of these women can most inspire the young people and get that ticket's numbers out of that crap status, uh, to use your term? Um, Amy Klobuchar is finished, obviously. You, you you said that before, but it's confirmed now. Yeah. Um, now, um, you know, despite you know, whatever we think of her or respect we have of her or her repackaging. I think that, that Kamala may even pose a problem now because of the history as a prosecutor. Uh, I don't think you can reorient that in time for November. Uh, and now as popular as Val Demings is, she was a chief of police. And while there's nothing on her record that shows anything, you know, all it's going to take is something, some little small incident that happened while in Orlando that she may not have even known about. And then you, you got a cop right there and you're done. So I'm asking you from your, uh, your, from your position <laughs> in the air, you know, what, who, do, who do you think? And Ern, I'll ask you the same question if it even matters to you, but, but I'll ask Marcos. I mean, we've talked, the last time we talked, you were high on Elizabeth and Stacy. But so I'm asking you again, though, in terms of, of the moments, everything has changed since last time we talked, obviously. So at this moment, who can do it? I feel like, and I've been talking to other people, I feel like there's some people out there that we've not considered. I, and I can't name them because we just haven't thought about them. But we, and at this point, we're going to need someone that can galvanize young voters of color and do their best, as hard as it's going to be to let them know, we, if nothing else, as Conrad World bequeathed us in his epitaph, we got to come together and at least get this joke out, and then we can struggle with Joe Biden if that's what we have to do. But but what do you think, Marcos? What, what do you have any ideas or suggestion who that person is, or do you think that either Elizabeth or Stacy could still actually do that? So Warren and Abrams, the reason I am I am um, 
gung ho on both of them, and I still am, is because they're the two that best unify the party, the the sort of establishment wing and then the activist Bernie wing, and uh, and both of them I think do fairly well with the younger voters. But I, I don't, to me, it's it they're party unity party unity candidates. Uh, as far as somebody who can bring the youth vote, I, I don't have any. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't have. I can't imagine unless you're willing to um, maybe a, an Ayanna Presley, but I think she'd be too too. Um, it's too soon, right? I mean, uh, um, I think we're building a bench. So um, you know, I'm more hopeful about where things are going in the future. But right now, we're still dealing with the bench that we built. 20 years ago and it's it's a little bereft erna what about what's the first word let's speak i mean as you speak for yourself you describe how a lot of young people are feeling how do you feel and let's be honest with us do you do you give a damn about voting this november is, is that even on your radar right now with everything overwhelming that's going on as a young person i mean some of the primary work that i do at daily coast is around voting rights and voter access so yes i give a damn um, I do also give a damn about people having options. And, you, you know, when I look at the field of candidates from spring 2019 to where we are now, it just, it's very disheartening that we had so many young people, so many folks of color, so many, even women of color, just all of this new progressive energy to just end up right back in, in the 90s, basically, to end up right back in the 90s. So I care, um, and I care about I care about the extra attack that my communities have been under, under Trump. And so I can definitely look at my vote as mitigation and harm reduction. I do not care about Joe Biden as a candidate whatsoever. And um, it's, he's so uninspiring and it's, it just, it boggles the mind how in 2019, it was just a, a joke to think that we'd end up at Joe Biden and here we are. Um, in, in large part because, in, I think in large part because of people's fear to think, to think in, in radical ways. We, you know, we thought safe, you know, safe and slow and easy is the best way to go against Trump, but nothing that the administration is doing is slow and easy. They are rapidly deteriorating our rights even further. Rap like we look, looked at, at the president on TV getting ready to call the military against his own citizens. And when they, when when we have the right wing willing to go that far, we just, it's just not exciting. It's just not exciting to go back to to the '90s Democratic Party. And so I, mean, I don't know if this fully answers your question. I care about voting, and I care about my participation in democracy, and I care about holding it together long enough so that it still exists in tangible ways. So that when we do have more. Uh, more political will for these more progressive candidates, that there's an infrastructure for more people to participate. But I cannot say I'm in any way energized by this 2020 election. So so let me be very specific then. Can you think of, and, and maybe you need time to think about it, but I'll put it out there. Is there a, a leader or personality that could mitigate Joe Biden's lack of inspiration, uh, a person of color, obviously a woman of color, that could be an inspiration and take over that messaging and that ticket at this time? Have, have you thought about that? Is anyone who can, who you think has a shot at that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, uh, me and my circle have long been, long been following Stacey Abrams' career and have been excited and energized by, by her. I think, you know, she, I also think Abrams had some unforced errors in terms of um, throwing Tara Reid under the bus for Joe Biden without actually having uh, having the nomination in hand. Um, but I don't know, this is a difficult one, Mark, because I think that there are women of color leaders who we are energized by, but I can say my, my I, I won't speak for everyone, but my circle of black women also doesn't enjoy the idea of a woman of color having to come in and clean up this white man's mess. And like mm. you know, and clean and offset his record, and mm. also put them in a position to then carry that record for the rest of their their careers. Um, but that said, uh, I I personally am energized by Stacey Abrams, Ayanna Presley. I haven't put a whole bunch more thought into it, to be perfectly honest, because I am going to vote the ticket. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. I, yeah. I wanna I wanna just uh, 
take a moment, sir, to, to point out that Arna and her team were, I think we may have been one of the first people to endorse Stacey Abrams when she ran for governor. Correct. Arna, I mean, we were like on the forefront. And then when I say we as Daily Coast, I actually mean Arna and her crew, because they were on top of that thing from from day one. So um, when Arna talks about Stacey Abrams, she knows what she's talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And and I think, you know, in terms of someone who's already present, again, I, I have the feeling there are probably some people we haven't thought about. Um, and we probably should start doing that. But in, in terms of who's in the mix right now, um, and, and see, before all this happened, Marcos, I was uh, extolling your numbers on Georgia and the closeness and her maybe being able to help out there because that brings you something else tangible. I think in terms of what's there right now, um, um, Erna, you know, unforced errors notwithstanding, and there there are some, um, several. Uh, I think that she's closer, close enough in age to the generation that needs to be informed that it's still worthwhile to vote. I mean, I think that's where we are. So, but but this. I, is, yeah, but, I honestly don't understand why she hasn't been in that short list for a while and maybe Arna has an idea of why she's been sort of excluded from that from that I mean because it's been Warren Harris, Klobuchar has been the sort of the, the short list and I have I can't for the life of me understand why Abrams is not in that group. I, I have a hypothesis but I'll I'll let Erna, it, Erna answer first if she has an idea. I mean my my pithy answer is sometimes it seems like we like losing but <laughs> I don't know. It really and truly boggles the mind, especially given the way that she's been positioned in this 2020 cycle. There was long, so many calls for her to actually run, run for president, to be the top of the ticket. Um, she has energized the base, particularly around the work that she's doing around voter access, voter suppression, um, civic engagement. That's just been really exciting. She's got a very strong platform on criminal justice and carceral reform, which is, you know, would be energizing to the base. I've, literally no idea why in this moment um she wouldn't be considered well but let me just share before we go what you know some of the things the discussions i've been involved in have revealed to 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 go back to what you said what i was saying marcos about how i was extolling your numbers i said y'all hey marcos on and these numbers look good for stacy and then i the responses i got floored me so how do I say this tactfully without revealing too much? You know, there's always personality in politics. The mayor of Atlanta, who is very sharp um, herself, um, is one of Joe Biden's top surrogates. And there is some tension between the mayor of Atlanta and Stacey. Yeah, look, you see, you see Marco's expression. Now, I mean, that's what we're dealing with, as always. And see, we're in this big tent, and we don't always get along. You know what I'm saying? We just, we got our personality, and so there's some stuff there. But then, uh, that's also, Erna, and I won't go into detail right now, because of some other unforced errors. So that Stacy has a record in the legislature in Atlanta that, some felt was not as revolutionary as let's say you or I might've been earning, you know, that's fine. We make those compromises. So there's that, there's that tension right there. And I'm going to say this, um, I want to put it out there because I think there needs to be a larger discussion uh, Erna, about this. But just like Marcos, we, we talked about this ad nauseum, internalized sexism and oppression toward one another. White women, Hillary ain't right, she ain't the right one. It's just something about her. You know, somebody even did a study once about if most people who said there's something about her, when you study it, most of them still don't know what it is. It's just something, and they've been manufactured hostility. Hillary's just not the right one. And so women through internalized sexism, as you know, Erna, can sometimes be hard on each other. It's like black folks are hard on each other. So there's a sentiment amongst black women that I have spoken to, and I'm talking about across the spectrum. Um, from, um, you know, uh, black women who have Eurocentric appearances to black women who have the same appearance you and I have 
earner, dreadlocks. And the, I talked to him separately. Mark, America is not going to elect. I'm going to be honest with you, what people say to me. I don't believe it. I, I can't, I refuse to believe it, but I'm putting it out there because we need to either check ourselves or figure this out. Marco Sinerna, what they say to me, America is not going to elect an overweight African-American woman with dreadlocks. And I was devastated when I heard that. You know, because Erna, in our lives, we accept each other and ourselves. We figure everybody else in 2020 is cool with us too. Ain't nobody tripping on me and you having dreadlocks, Erna. You know, but then when people say, America, when it times, it's time to go vote. So, you know, I, I, that is a, a little bit discouraging. And just one other point I want to make, Ernie, when you talk about going back to the 90s, that's the irony of Joe Biden. Joe Biden is supported because he was Barack Obama's vice president. So if this, if, if my man is uninspiring, <laughs> which he is, you know, I, I, I like Joe, but, you know, bless his heart. You know, I, I wish the three of us could just, you know, do a retreat with him one weekend. Maybe, I don't know. But anyway, uh, <laughs> talk to him and say, dude, you know, if he's uninspiring, where he come from? He came from the first black president. And so that goes back to your point about the bench, Marcos. You know, um, Joe Biden was put on the bench. And then this is kind of what we're left with. So it's a tricky situation between, it's like schizophrenia. Well, this is the first black president's man. But yet, something's missing. And, and then, you know, to kind of bring this full circle, you know, we're talking about Jackie Robinson earlier in the context of Conrad World. People forget, you know, Barack, Barack Obama was our era's Jackie Robinson in terms of that office. And when you're the Jackie Robinson, you got to turn the other cheek. Sometimes when you're the first, unfortunately. But people forget, after about two years, Branch Rickey said to Jackie Robinson, y'all can read about it. This story ain't told. It's like a lot of Dr. King's speeches we don't hear. We hear one. Branch Rickey said, hey, man, you free. So what you mean? Don't turn another cheek no more. You've paid your dues. Light these folk up. And Jackie became a pariah in Major League Baseball and everywhere because he started fighting on the baseball field for our rights, standing up to umpires, making bad calls against him because he was black. He was not beloved by the time he left baseball. So at some point, you got to transition from the turn the other cheek to say, all right, it's time to get down. And I think the Obama feeling era spirit is, is struggling with that because I think people are turning that corner, but then we're still stuck with Joe. But, you know, I didn't mean to give a whole speech like that. Uh, you know, Jack, Joe, Joe keeps us in the dugout kind of turning the other cheek, unfortunately is the, the, the analogy I'm trying to draw. Um, but anyway, I said a lot. I probably talked too long. Even, even if you have any closing thoughts. Um, and folks, we're not trying to discourage. We're just having a conversation. If anything, it's a wake-up call. We got to get it together. I mean, the, yeah, the encouraging part is that we are, we are building that bench. I mean, you have the squad and you have um, more and more Democrats like that that we're electing. And uh, we need more primary challenges. We need, to, we need to continue cleaning house and modernizing our party and building that bench. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be, I know there's going to be a rush for this, for this bandwagon, but I, I want to be right there in the front of the Ayanna Presley for president. I, mean, I, think, she's, I think she's old enough. So, uh, <laughs> in fact, one of my reasons I wouldn't, I'd love to see Warren uh, BVP is because then Ayanna can then get elected to the Senate mm -hmm. and boom. And then we have, the we have her, her jumping off point into the presidential because that's where she belongs. She belongs in the White House. Yeah. Um, so we are building that bench. And I know everybody likes to focus on the, on the presidential. And it's really it's the most momentous office. And, of course, it's easy to get really discouraged that we're stuck with Biden versus Trump. I mean, I, I hope they don't debate. I really hope they don't debate because I have no interest in seeing two old white men yelling at each other with making stuff up and who knows what else. Um, but uh, the future is better, and we're building the future. And as long as people focus on build, uh, on electing these these uh, better, more visionary people, the way Arna put it, uh, you know, she talked about our city council. I know the Seattle city council's got some amazing people. You have some 
great people being elected to city council, which is a stepping point to mayor, which is a stepping point to the state legislature, which is a step, stepping point to Congress and the Senate and eventually the White House. That's where we build this more progressive power. And uh, I actually see a lot of energy there. I mean, we've, we've been talking about that for over 10 years, Mark, but I finally actually see people paying the proper attention to those offices and they matter at the local level, like the mayor of Ferguson, it matters. Um, yeah. So I, I I look at that bench and I look at our future and the future is bright. We just we just have to get through this this moment in time, which is just crap. Yeah. And uh, so I'm I'm demoralized for, for the immediate future. I'm energized for the future. Um, Erna, closing thoughts. I mean, I think right, this thing that happens really often is when we are a part of something and then we want to hold that something accountable. Um, folks say that you, we're discouraging people. And so if you are, you know, if you're on the left and you want to hold the Democratic Party accountable for such uninspiring choices and, and leaving us with those, is that you want to discourage people. And I don't want to discourage people from voting. What I'm saying is I understand. I understand why it doesn't feel super encouraging right now. Um, but I think we can't sit on the sidelines. I think we, because this is an opportunity for us. If we look at, at, at activists and revolutionaries and folks who are moving things on the ground through their communities, I think we have a chance always to look at this as an opportunity, not of, of, of saving our vote until we find the candidate who is the most inspiring, best fit for us, but also looking at no matter who's in office, we're gonna have to push them. Right? No matter who's sitting in the White House, no matter who's sitting in, the, in Congress, we are going to have to push them leftward in order for them to start advancing policies that are really getting to the radical transformative changes that we want. And who would you rather be pushing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Erna Landrum, the director of campaigns at Daily Coast, Marcos, the founder of Daily Coast. This is Thursday Coast, double, double dose. Um, Erna, uh, we appreciate you. You continue to stay safe. You are in our prayers. We are with you more than you know. Just just reach out in terms of whatever you need. And we so appreciate you. I, I think it's very poignant what you shared and, and people hearing from someone. Because, you know, there's a whole lot of folk on TV, too. That's another thing. Who have become experts and talking heads on this. And they're not right there where you are. Um, so we're grateful to you um, uh, being there um, and giving us your perspective. Okay? Thank you. Uh, all right. Marcos, my brother, thank you, man. We will continue to fight. This is, yep. uh, we, we got a ways to go. Um, uh, We're going we gonna to do something, y'all. And just, you know, hopefully the best will come out of it. Marcos, thank you. Uh, you you and the kids, everybody safe in your world? Everybody, we're, we're safe. And uh, so, yeah, all to you, all your listeners, uh, stay safe. Keep fighting. All right. All right, folks. Thank you, everybody. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.